Hello, and welcome back to Pastor Life Podcast from Pinnacle Leadership Associates. I'm David Brown. And I'm Rhonda Blevins. Hey, David, do you have any embarrassing preaching moments I'm you can sure tell us about? I'm sure I have many embarrassing preaching moments. And probably the people sitting in the pew would tell about some poor preaching moment. But the thing that comes to mind right now is actually not a preaching moment, but a baptism moment. The young man who was to be baptized came down at the baptistry, and I was going through the whole ritual and put him under the water, brought him back up, sent him on out, and realized a few minutes later I had called him by the wrong name the whole time. Oh, no. So um, there was that. Rhonda, do you have any uh, embarrassing preaching moments of your own? Oh, of course, of course. So in this pod, we'll talk about preaching styles and learning to preach without notes, as well as using powerful questions Rhonda, in our preaching. Rhonda, you didn't share your embarrassing preaching moment. <laughs> Nothing gets by you, David. Let's talk about the preaching pastor life. Well, Rhonda, obviously preachers and pastors have various styles when it comes to being in the pulpit. Some people have a manuscript that's well thought out and every word is typed and on a page. Um, Some people preach from notes or a detailed outline. Some people, I imagine, get up in the pulpit with their Bible and they're not really sure what they're going to say and they trust that the Spirit will speak through them. I know, Rhonda, that you preach without notes, but I'm guessing you're not exactly like that last person I just described. Have you uh, Have you always preached without notes? No, I haven't. Um, probably like most ministers, I learned to write a manuscript in seminary and largely preached from the manuscript in my early ministry. My preaching professor, Calvin Miller, he, um, he taught us a little trick that you print out your manuscript and you cut it in such a way that it can, it can, you can kind of hide it in the pages of your Bible. And then you hold your Bible the whole sermon, uh, but you're basically reading from the manuscript. So I preached like that for a lot of years out of seminary. And then, then I heard Barbara Brown Taylor preach (laughs) and the angels started singing and the Shekinah glory fell all around. And I decided that I wanted to preach like Barbara Brown Taylor. So don't we all, (laughs) right? So then I worked even harder on my manuscript, trying to make my prose sound like poetry in Barbara Brown, Taylor fashion. And so I quit waving my Bible around. Um, and maybe I was deconstructing from evangelicalism about that time as well. Um, and then I stood in the pulpit kind of trying to channel my best BBT, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So how did that work for you, channeling Barbara Brown, Taylor? Yeah, not great. <laughs> as it turns out, I am no Barbara Brown, Taylor. Go figure. Man, don't we all wish we were a little more like Barbara Brown Taylor? Uh, How long did you kind of stick with that method or that goal, you know, trying to emulate her preaching style? Uh, Probably a little too long. Now, uh, to be fair to myself, I was in denominational work and as an associate pastor, I was a campus minister. And so um, I went a lot of years of my ministry without preaching every week. And so maybe it took me longer than most to find my most authentic preaching voice. Yeah, I can see that. I had some of those similar roles where you were only preaching on occasion, and so it felt really big to be in the pulpit, and it felt like sometimes you needed to say everything that you had to say in that one sermon. 
you know, I'm, I think I'm probably still figuring out my most authentic voice, uh, but have, have you found yours or some approximation of it? Well, I think I'm closer, you know, um, it's a journey. Yeah, for right? sure. It's definitely a journey and probably not just finding our preaching voice, but finding our voice in other aspects of life as well. So you've tried several different preaching styles, and I know you have landed ultimately on preaching without notes. What would you say are the pros and the cons of this way of preaching? Well, some of the positives I've noticed, um, obviously increased eye contact, and I think eye contact is really important. I'm going to name vulnerability as a positive Mm. because, you know, our our people want to know that we're being authentic and being real. And so um, stepping away from the notes leaves us more vulnerable and perhaps more Likeable, uh, likeable may not be the right word, but uh, more able to connect. Um, I, people say that it seems like you're speaking from the heart. That's kind of the language that I've heard about it. But the greatest positive, over, overarching greatest positive for me is that I get a greater sense of connection with my people when I preach without notes. Yeah, that's really great. Really great. Any negatives that you've found? Oh, sure. You know that vulnerability thing that I mentioned? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that vulnerability works both ways, doesn't it? So if you don't have a crutch, means you might fall down. And to be fair, sometimes I'll drop a line that I want to say or I'll miss a point. Usually it works out that it wasn't that necessary to the, uh, to the, over, to the arch of the sermon. Another negative, perhaps, uh, I was making this transition at a previous church and there was an older minister in the congregation, a a dear friend, um, and he was real. He was one of those honest critics, right, that uh, preaching without notes uh, made it look like I was showboating a little bit. So there's that. Then the greatest negative for me is uh, the loss of eloquence, uh, the loss of carefully chosen words. And, and, you know, that's what Barbara Brown Taylor, for instance, is a master at. She's so eloquent. She chooses her words and her they're so profound. And you lose that when you preach, or at least I do, when I preach without notes. Right. You know, I've moved quite a bit from being a very focused manuscript preacher, being really tied to that manuscript in the pulpit, to being much more of a notes or outline sort of preacher. And I've experienced some of those same benefits that you've talked about in terms of connection and eye contact and have become much more comfortable with uh, sort of a spirit-led ad-libbing in my preaching. But the fear for me at the beginning was exactly what you just mentioned, that that loss of eloquence or having turned just the right phrase. Uh, and so sometimes now I will have a phrase that I will intentionally memorize, you know, or it will be in the notes in big, bold letters so that at least that phrase is a phrase that I kind of come back to and I know that I'm going to deliver it the way I want to. What would you say to, to pastors who, like me, were resistant to the idea of moving away from a manuscript to preaching from notes? Well, I, I think that's probably the biggest resistance to preaching without notes, the the anxiety, the fear about trying it. Um, but I really believe that any preacher can preach without notes. In my experience, I was terrified at first as well, but it's it's so much easier now. It does, I will admit, it does add a layer of anxiety and also a bit of extra prep time, uh, I think, if you do it well. Right. I do want to hear a little bit more about that later. You know, just what is that prep time and what does it look like? Uh, But is there anything else that you would say is a point of resistance? Well, some 
pastors, maybe rightly, think that we can't be too careful that that the preaching moment is so important um, and it's such a high calling that we we shouldn't be glib. You know that through the Holy Spirit we choose our words carefully Monday through Saturday. But I also believe that if we do the work Monday through Saturday, that the Holy Spirit is with us on Sunday as well. Oh, really? <laughs> Imagine that. In fact, I do write a manuscript, but I've actually never once had to look at it when I've done the work to preach without notes. That's great. That's uh, you know really encouraging to hear as somebody who would like to move a little more in that direction. And I like the benefits that I've seen, especially back in the days of in-person preaching. You know, we haven't gotten back to that with the welcome table. But what does it exactly look like when you prepare and get ready to preach without notes? So when things go as planned, and how often do you think that happens? (laughs) Uh, When things go as planned, I study on Monday and Tuesdays. You know, I listen to the preaching podcast. I read the commentaries. I participate in our lectionary group. Then on Wednesday, I draft an outline. On Thursday, I write the manuscript. And I write it so that there are no more than 12 moves in the sermon, like and, and in the manuscript, it's basically subheadings, so 12 subheadings, because then I memorize those moves that it serves as an outline. And more than 12, it's, it, it becomes uh, too cumbersome to try to memorize. And then, you know, Friday through Sunday morning, I memorize those moves. And now that I'm getting more practiced at it over, you know, the past few years that I've been doing it, really, I don't do much on Friday and Saturday and uh, really m- memorize the moves on Sunday morning. Oh, wow. Yeah. So did you kind of come up with this on your own? Where did you learn this method? Well, it's my adaptation of the method from a book by Joseph Webb. It's called Preaching Without Notes. I don't use it exactly, but I've adapted it for me and and it, you know, it works. (laughs) Yeah. So it, it, it works for you every time? Every single time. Every time I decide to preach without notes. All right. So let's move a little bit though from style to substance. I want to ask you about something that you are a master at, which is using questions in preaching. So can you tell me a little bit about how you use questions in the preaching moment? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, But Rhonda, in the spirit of this segment of the podcast, let me start with a question for you. Have you ever had the opportunity to preach in a congregational setting where call and response, you know, that back and forth between the preacher and the people was a part of their practice? Oh, yeah. I mean, not often, but on on a few occasions, probably my most memorable was I got to preach at a baccalaureate service for uh, an HBCU, a historic black college and university. Yeah, it was it was it's, it's very engaging, right? There's so much energy with that. Yeah, I've only had a few opportunities to preach in that setting, but I loved that engagement. You know, it wasn't at all a part of the tradition that I had grown up in, and I I definitely felt that I was leaning on the people. I was needing their help to preach in that way, and I I really loved the way that people engaged the preaching moment from both sides of the pulpit, the interaction and sort of the sense of preaching as a communal act. There was an overwhelming sense that worship, even in the preaching moment, was participatory and that more than just the preacher was responsible for the act of preaching. Yeah, sometimes... um... You know, I'll I'll try to encourage my congregation to do a call and response, and 
it's not normal or natural for the congregation, but you know, they're, they're pretty good sports. They'll participate. But I, I think preaching has to be a participatory sport. Don't you? <laughs> I do think that. And yet in many of the congregations where I've served, that hasn't been a feeling that I've often experienced or something that has come very naturally. Even with the small congregation that I pastor now and pre-COVID, you know, the intimate setting of being, you know, 50 people or so in a room, I just haven't necessarily felt that preaching has been a two-way street very often or very easily. Oh, right. So, you know, I've looked at questions as kind of a way to create connection and to invite participation in the preaching moment. Uh, sort of a way to bridge the space between the pulpit and the front pew. Now, are you talking about like rhetorical questions or questions that you actually try to elicit responses? Some, sometimes from? both. I think not every question in a sermon has to be rhetorical. And at the same time, not every question needs to be a popcorn answer kind of question. And, and I think it's interesting sometimes when a question that I thought might be a rhetorical question gets an answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that takes me, you know, it takes you aback sometimes, right? It's like, oh, I didn't, exactly, <laughs> I wasn't expecting exactly. that. So are, are your questions always deep and profound or do you ask questions that are sometimes, uh, you know, lighthearted? Yeah, playful? sure. I think, I think almost any question is a good question in a, a sermon in the sense that I think any opportunity to invite somebody to think more personally or more deeply or just to make it personal to them. So I think even a lighthearted question, you know, or a question about pop culture or a question about a current event, you know, I think sometimes those questions invite people into the sermon and, and provide kind of a hook. Uh, you know, in fact, Doug Cushing, our colleague at Pinnacle, he had a homiletical hot take that we videoed and put on YouTube uh, maybe a year ago or so. There's, I'm sure, still a link on our YouTube page for that. Doug talks about questions in three different ways in the sermon. A question that hooks, a question that invites a deeper dive into the text, and a question that is about personal application. And I think those are helpful categories. I don't think that maybe covers all the sorts of questions you might ask in a sermon but it definitely gives some good categories to think about as we write and plan and as we prepare to preach without notes. Oh, well, let me tell you a, a little something I tried this past week. I, I needed a certain response from a question I was posing. Uh, it wasn't rhetorical. I was inviting actual responses. And so I planted those responses from a couple of people in the congregation. How did that work out? <laughs> Oh, it worked out great. I mean, they knew exactly when to answer and what to say. And so, yeah, it, it worked out great. That's great. Um, so I, I don't know if, if, if that's manipulative or just a trick of the trade, but I did it. <laughs> hey, you know, if it works, it works, right? You know, I think the, the power of good questions is something that maybe we underestimate a little bit as preachers. I think we often get into the pulpit knowing that we have certain things we want to say or communicate get across to people. And we think that the best way to do that is sort of the direct teaching, preaching, exposition. And I think the power of a good question can really break open people's minds, hearts. It can help them to listen in a more close way. And it can also invite them to really take what 
is in the text and make it personal to them. You know, I think it really invites people into a deeper, further uh, investment in uh, the subject at hand. And I think Jesus really knew this. You know, we've talked in a previous podcast about the way that Jesus tended to answer a question with a question. I found this from Mar- Martin Copenhaver. He writes that in the Gospels, Jesus asks many more questions than he answers. To be precise, Jesus asks 307 questions. He asks 307 questions. He has asked 183 questions, of which he only answers three of them. So Copenhaver says asking questions was central to Jesus' life and teachings. In fact, for every question he answers directly, he asks literally a hundred. Wow. And wasn't that part of the, and maybe, and, and I think still is, part of the rabbinical tradition? Yeah, I think you're right about that. You know, that the asking of a question was kind of a critical part of learning for the person that you were teaching. Right. So, you know, he asked all these questions, you know, about, you know, what do you want me to do for you? Do you want to be well? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single moment to your lifespan? Who do you say that I am? You know, all these questions that invited his disciples deeper into his teaching and maybe more than that into his way of life. Yeah, so so there's also another way, and it's not exactly question asking, but there's a children's methodology for teaching in the church. And I don't know a ton about it, but I know that they use the phrase, I wonder. I wonder what the rainbow in the sky meant. Or I wonder what Jesus meant when he said, you know, X, Y, or Z. So it's kind of the same thing, isn't it? The, the I wonder is, is a little bit of a question asking. Yeah, I think that if I'm remembering right, I think that's from a curriculum called Godly Play. Yes, that's right. Thank and you. I think I think the I wonder type of invitations, you know, it's not exactly a question, but it is really invitational. And I'm I, I feel like it works with adults and not just children, right? I think you're probably right. So yeah, I think anytime that we can ask an open-ended question or we can prompt someone to wonder or reflect as a part of our sermon, maybe even just creating a little extra space or being comfortable with a silent moment in a sermon can be helpful. And I think it's really an exercise of building the culture in our congregations. You know, a culture that is willing to ask questions and a pastor that's willing to not have all the answers. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it too. You know, I think maybe preaching has shifted over, you know, over the past few decades from more of a didactic experience. And now it's more experiential. And now it's a a conversation, or at least it is in a lot of places. And that's what I try to create in my church. Yeah, I definitely feel like I have become less concerned with trying to make every point about a passage of scripture that maybe I did feel that urge earlier in my time as a, as a preacher. I think I've become much more comfortable with inviting people into an experience with Scripture, inviting them into the page, inviting them to live in the story and learn from the story, and then even inviting them to imagine 
what they might be called to do because of this. And so often I've tried to end my sermons with a question or maybe even a series of questions, you know, rather than telling them how to directly apply some point of theology or some piece of the text, a question can invite people to make those connections themselves. And if they make that connection themselves, it's much more personal and they're much more likely to take it and do something with it. In fact, in one of our first servant leadership meetings, the leadership team from the welcome table, we talked a lot about whether our new congregation should have a mission statement. And after a lot of talk around the table, a lot of wrestling back and forth with what that might look like or include, we actually came around to the idea of having a mission question. And so we end worship every week with our mission question. And that question is, how can I be a part of God's mission in the world this week? I love that. I've never heard of another church doing that. Well, we hadn't either. But when we were talking about the idea of a mission statement, we just really couldn't come to a spot where we liked anything that was on the table. And we had talked about this idea that with everything we do as an individual or as a community, that we're answering a a question about ourselves. We're answering a question about ourselves and about God and about the world. And so why not shape that into a question? And the question could be one that shapes our community. I think that's great. So if a pastor wants to use in great, too great of an effect, the use of questions, what, what would you suggest by way of preparation or uh, in writing the sermon? You know, like you mentioned with preaching without notes, it's really about intentionality and it's about practice. And so for me, as I approach the sermon writing and preparation, and really you can think about this outside of the preaching moment in other parts of worship as well. I mean, that's what the mission question is. It's, it's almost a sending out a sending question each week. But I think just the intentionality of, could I ask a question here rather than making a statement or going over your sermon if you're a manuscript preacher and, and just thinking, where are a few opportune moments to include a question? So I think intentionality is probably the biggest piece of it and and practice. Yeah, I think so. Well, I've got a question for you, David. Yeah, sure. Is it time to wrap up this episode of Pastor Life Podcast? I think it probably is. I think that wraps it up for us on this episode of Pastor Life from Pinnacle Leadership Associates. Be sure and check out our website at pinlead.com slash pastorlife. That's P-I-N-N-L-E-A-D.com slash pastor hyphen life for session notes from this and previous podcasts. You'll also want to check out the rest of the site to learn about clergy coaching, church consulting, as well as resources for leading adaptive change in your congregation. And sign up for our weekly e-news with relevant articles and other resources from our team, as well as information about upcoming webinars and coaching cohorts. Now, Rhonda, about that embarrassing preaching story. Oh, wow. Um, gosh. Look at the time, David. Oh, my goodness. I'm better. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, come on. Come on.